This is High Defamation. Listeners, welcome to episode three this time around of the High Defamation Podcast. More astute listeners will have already observed that this is a late coming podcast. Uh, Initially, it should have been posted this past Saturday. As I record this, it is currently the following Thursday. What can I say? People get fucking sick, and man... That's the case here. Anyway, enough of that sob story. As always, I am your host, Eric Bauer. Intrepid to some degree, but mostly just a sucker for my own voice. Um, <laughs> I jest, uh, but nonetheless, I am stoked to be airing yet another installment of this fluctuating media beast. Mm-hmm. To those of you that have added your voices to the pantheon of high defamation supporters, whether it's been through the anonymity of Instagram or the privacy invasions of Facebook. I thank you for the unwavering support and occasional feedback. It does all go to assist me, not just in bringing you more content, but in sensing what it is that you might actually want to hear in the first fucking place. There's some cool shit that I have in the works. Uh, Things that will hopefully encourage more engagement, enliven more people's day-to-day, and entertain even more ears. We'll have more on that later. Uh, And by when I say later, I mean a later date, not later this episode. As I'm really, honestly, still testing the waters here, trying to determine and fixate on whether there's really even still a call for this broadcast. But hey, if you like what you hear... How about doing me a solid and rating and reviewing or reviewing, rating or reviewing, not and reviewing, or if you want to rate and review, that's great too. Uh, High Defamation on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, Those are probably the two biggest platforms that you're likely to come across this broadcast. Anyway, um, let's move on, (laughs) shall we? I've managed to keep previous episodes uh, of this down around the hour mark so far, but definitely expect to go over with this one. Uh, but don't worry, it will be well worth it. Uh, again, though, at, in the last episode, before we dive into our usual shenanigans, let's talk about some goddamn records that I have been addicted to. The first one of those is... Night Gaunt's self-titled album released in 2015 on Blood Rock Records. And I couldn't tell you when this juggernaut, combining my favorite elements of doom and dark metal, first blipped on my radar. But it's been a favorite since. There are a lot of elements of play on this album, uh, whether it's from the thick and obvious Candlemass influence to undertones of Christian death and flourishes that remind me of rudimentary peni. 
rather than a jumble, though, uh, these Italians managed to find a balance that really belies their relatively short heritage. Tight and focused and crawlingly bombastic, it's a reminder of why Italian doom to this day stands head and shoulders above their international contemporaries. The second album uh, is The Spooky Gloom by Sempaternal Death Rain, released in 1989 on Foundation Records. It's a Netherlands classic, absolutely essential death doom that is equally familiar and singular. Uh, while bands at the time were trying to cop either the buzzsaw savagery of Swedish death metal, the cavernous putridity and guttural doom of Finnish death metal, or that indisputably American blitzkrieg of more sound clones, Sempaternal Death Rain instead managed to come up with a rad name and spit out a demo and full length that tempered all of those disparate elements into one sound, and it's fucking perfect. Why no one has attempted to put this back in the print is forever beyond me. Come on, folks. Uh, it seems like a job suited for the crypt, if anybody. The last record I want to talk about is another oldie. Uh, Anti-Systems, a look at life from uh, Reconciliation Records in 1986. It's a far more aggressive and polished monster than their 82 demo or In Defense of the Realm EP from 83. Uh, this MLP mostly recalls icons of filth at their most rollicking, with nods to early sacrilege, revulsion, or legion of parasites. Some good obscure shit there for you. It's a completely scathing indictment of UK punk at the time. It condemns both the system and fucking GBH uh, in a hilariously titled track, Leather Bristles Studs and Ignorance. I still love GBH, but that's a fucking great title. Uh, and everything in between. Listening, uh, it's easy to see how their sound was uh, co-mingled with the likes of Antisect, Amoebics, and others to result in the crust core of SDS and Misery. Blam! Done. Ready to fucking swan dive into the morass of the topic at hand. Get ready for a literal history lesson hopefully told fast and loose and as enthralling as it sounds in my brain. We'll see. So, without any further time a-wasting, let's get right into the next 70 to 90 minutes of early Czech Metal Madness. <laughs> In the short history of High Defamation, I have already discussed some far-off places. Whether D-Beat in Japan, a land with customs so formal and etiquette so proper, it's as odd a dichotomy as one might culturally conjure, or the seemingly exponentially further Brazil, a country steeped in the poverty and corruption of a military dictatorship that lasted until 1985. Another contrast that perfectly encapsulated how a scene resulting in Rados de Perau and Sarcophago emerged from the ether. Being not just from the Western world of the 80s, uh, but more specifically suburban America, uh, I think that I shared a skewed vision of the outside world that was reflected by uh, a lot of my peers at the time. A vision of TWA hijackings over Eastern Europe, Lebanese Civil War, 
the Chernobyl disaster, Rwandan genocide, more civil war, this time in Sierra Leone, Contra Revolution, Colombian conflict between FARC and M19, not to mention nearly daily news reports of Medellin cartel sanctioned public assassinations and general government instability. And of course, even more fucking civil war in Somalia. Um, that's certainly not a thorough listing of every international conflict that was deemed newsworthy, but for a teenager with a morbid curiosity in international affairs and an innate ability to always see things as exaggerated as possible, uh, it made the planet seem completely fucking insane. What we currently know as the Czech Republic during the 80s was just as rife with internal conflict, uh, though it was obscured through the veil of the disintegrating Warsaw Pact and those countries that clung to it beyond the German reunification of 1990, although, note, East Germany resigned from that treaty in 88. Czechoslovakia itself dissolved from that union in 89 when the Velvet Revolution introduced democracy to the country. Uh, it's a wonder that with a mandate like pre-Gorbachev glasnost that any art surfaced worth a damn, but whether through Samizdat proliferation, underground propagation, or just outright law-breaking, art indeed reared its head. Spurned by early groups like the Plastic People of the Universe, an entire scene was established in the 70s that even while condemned and criminalized in the early 80s, continued to see aspiring punks and weirdos create something singular. Uh, in retrospect, it's fairly easy to see how a genre like punk flourished in Czechoslovakia, especially when spearheaded band bands like Radagast. But if one were to scrutinize, they see facets of metal, uh, like Fata Morgana or Assessor, among others. More to the point, black fucking metal that not only took hold of the country, but became some of the strangely best offerings of the genre in general. And before I go all in here, let me remind you that this is a editorial podcast and totally subjective. So if I leave out your favorite Czech band here, then I can only encourage you to make your own list and announce it on your own fucking podcast. That said, let's dig deeper. Tor came from Prague in 77 and in part began their long history as Group 666, who released an obscure demo called Necrophilia that would uh, later be added to Tor's storied discography. As a proper band, Tor would release their seminal Witchhammer demo in 1987. Said demo was a destructive metallic force of blackened thrash metal. Equally informed by the rawness of Venom and Hellhammer, uh, as well as the heavy metal leanings of Early Running Wild or Iron Angel. To my ears, if one were to entirely remove the melodicism of Tor's first demo, it had more in common with the completely off-the-fucking-chain whiplash-inducing psychopathy of Volcano's debut than it did with anything short of the first Bathory record in Europe. <laughs> Exorcist, never. Exorcist, 
Exorcist off of the Witch Hammer demo by Tor. And while the musical template didn't vary much into their first LP, Armageddon, at least in 1990, the vocals uh, inherited a more feral quality. Layered effects and other eccentricities litter the album's sung parts, and musicianship, while still raw as fuck, became more streamlined with emotive solos and song progressions that seem more sophisticated than the genre would normally allow. You could draw similarities to Switzerland's Messiah or Hungary's Tormentor to some degree, uh, as well as Poland's Cat, who are on a similar trajectory. Yeah. 
Those were two back-to-back tracks. The first one, Crowl Moore. Uh, I don't know if that's the correct pronunciation. In fact, I'm going to preface this whole thing by saying if any of my Czech pronunciation is terrible, and most likely all of it is, um, I'm sorry for any listeners that do speak Czech. Um, it's a tough language to, to grasp. Uh, I, I did some research uh, into uh, some of the correct pronunciations, uh, and even then, um, it's it's rough when you've only got Google to go off of and you don't want to drop a fucking bill on Rosetta Stone. Um, anyway, that aside, uh, Crowell Moore uh, roughly translates into English as the Plague King. Uh, and it came off of the Armageddon LP, which we just spoke about. The second LP, uh, Institute Clinique Smirti. I don't know how accurate that pronunciation is again. And I'm not going to apologize after every single one. Just assume that I'm sorry for my terrible butchering of the Czech language. Um, Pants New is the track that came off of that album. Uh, and I don't have a translation for that title. Um, now, the album followed in 1991. Uh, and it was just before I totally lost track of Tor. Vocally, it's officially in weirdo territory. Founding member Ota Eris has completely forgone any normal attempt at, at, at pitch or cadence, and basically he rasps and croaks his way through the record with fucking abandon. Um, Tore toe the line of death thrash on occasion uh, on the album, but just as frequently dip into trebly warbled heavy fucking metal. Uh, and as far as the black metal goes, if you can't hear it... Uh, you know, I don't know what to tell you. Um, you probably, if you listen closely to that track, uh, noticed some uh, fucking atmospheric keys in the background, really tastefully placed, um, which is kind of a signature of this type of fucking music. Um, and all of that works in their favor, uh, for sure. While their extensive discography boasts an intimidating lineup of releases, it became hard to keep up. And as much as I've always wanted to like uh, the 1992 album Chipney Okus Dal which roughly translates to dwell a little further uh, unless Google has betrayed me uh, it still never fully clicked uh, but there was a 1993 re-recording of the Witchhammer demo and that shit is totally fucking essential um, as relatively unknown as Tor sadly remains we're really gonna dip into obscure territory here talking about Crux from Ostrava. Sadly defunct too early, they were active between 1990 and 1993, during which time they managed to drop two demos and a full length of some exceptional Black Thrash cacophony. Now, it's always difficult to distinguish being derivative from simply drawing influence, but in the case of Crux, for their time and place, they stood atop the heap of also-rans. Yes, the first wave influences are all present and accounted for. Yes, they certainly had to have had an ear to the second wave scene coming from Scandinavia, as their material is ice fucking cold. But if I had to say they sound like anyone, honestly, it would be the early disaster demos. Underneath the Czech attributes and Norwegian flourishes, there is a distinguishable Teutonic lean that tears through the music and absolutely pummels the listener. 
driving razor sharp riffs, a martial rhythm section that propels everything forward, yet reels it in from completely going off the rails, and absolute vocal ferocity. Totally bombastic, but with atmosphere to spare. Uh, it's a shame the project was so short lived. And while members would move on to other projects, uh, they were all just as fleeting. <laughs>
was the title track off of the Scream of Death release by Crux. Thankfully, the bulk of Crux's material was unearthed by the folks at Dementia Records and Korak Records as part of their Czech demo series, along with releases from Avenger, Amon, and The Maniacs we're about to discuss. VAR, V-A-R, or Vratislavis Alcoholic Roar, hailed from Liberec, not far removed from the Polish border and named for the brewery with the same moniker. Uh, comparisons to Tankard are not uncommon, circa the Alcoholic Metal Demo or Zombie Attack LP, uh, total drunken thrashing madness, and much like Crux, the Teutonic influence in Var's music is undeniable. You'll hear callbacks to Bestial Invasion of Hell, along with Witching Metal, Victims of Death, not to mention echoes of Tormentor or Violent Force. in the same way that the roots of black metal can be traced to those aforementioned genre progenitors. There is an underlying black heart to VAR's No Place to Hide demo, which that track came from. Recorded in early 1990, right before their country became the Czech Federal Republic, the demo is a salvo of feral bombast, thoroughly raw and utterly destructive. 
all of the cuts on the demo are unrelenting in their pace and they fucking lay waste to the listener. Totally filthy guitar tone mingles with a rhythm section compelled to flay the skin from your face. The vocals go from pitch black to drunkenly sung and give a certain character to the proceedings that might have been absent without their variance. Totally compelling and totally recommended, especially since the reissue came out in 09 with a CD version on a 25th anniversary edition released in 2015 by Parrot Rock Metal Magazine. Get yours if you can find it. They don't pop up often. Vratislav Beer, titled Vratislav. VAR has continued to put out music and is in fact still active. While the first proper LP, Personal Destruction, from 1992 slays, the unique insanity of the demo would never be replicated. It's an album I don't have as much familiarity with either, so rather than shoot from the hip, we're going to push ahead to the centerpiece of this episode. Without further ado... The unparalleled and utterly majestic, never replicated and always outstanding Master's Fucking Hammer from Prague. 
Arguments might ensue were I to assert my belief here that <laughs> Master's Hammer is not only the best black metal band out of the Czech Republic, but also the best black metal band, period. It's subjective, of course, though how dare I not even mention Root, right? And while Big Boss Baby has just as long a history, it's been far less consistent since the Temple of the Underworld, in my opinion. That shouldn't tell you that I have no appreciation for Root either, as their demos and first three LPs are all fucking superb and could honestly warrant an episode all on their own. Food for thought, I guess. Um, put together by Frantis Storm and Milan Fibiger in 1987, and if I got those name pronunciations wrong, as I've already said, a million apologies. Uh, they stormed out of the gate with a demo of primitive early first wave worship, the ritual murder, raw and cavernous. It was a blitzkrieg of classic heavy metal tendencies placed over the din of Yellow Goat and Triumph of Death. With touches of classical music and flourishes of melodicism, the recording was sparse uh, but urgent. Franta's vocals surly and yet to morph into the beast they'd become. His guitar playing is a high point. Like a really high point. As was Milan's bass playing. A steady pulse of rhythm over the clamor of the drums. The easy high point here is no doubt the opener. Cavoid Cram or Shram. Though Black Metal is a contender. The whole demo is a must that shows masters in their infancy. Savage and hungry to become something more. <laughs>
And that was the track Kavovi Shram, which roughly translates to Metal Temple of Master's Hammer's first demo. And evolved they would. The following demo, uh, finished, almost sounds like another band entirely. Gone is the drunken intonation of Franta's previous vocals, replaced here by the beginning of the savage snarls and warped croaks he's become known for. The bottom end on this demo is fucking huge, and it sounds like the whole thing is running through a compressor. The guitar distortion is dialed in to the point of sounding nearly needle-thin, but fuck, it cuts deep. The bass is loaded with reverb that captures the rest of the elements as well, and the drums pound with fucking abandon. It's just fucking raucous.
And that was the track, Duce Nesmertal Niche. I don't know if that's even remotely accurate. But it does roughly translate to Immortal Soul off of that second Master's Hammer demo. The Mast was their third demo, released in 1989, and it stands among some of their most outrageous material. It's a perfect precursor to the following two full lengths, and finally sees them embracing their eccentricities and histrionics fully. With the addition of members Necrocock, great name, mm. <laughs> and Silent Hell, other great name, and an actual studio recording, Master's Hammer, though endearing before, became their own singular entity here. Uh, it's got choral arrangements, which abound on the demo, layered behind the wall of Franta's unmatched guitar antics and Milan's bass. While the addition of timpani may seem minor, Silent Hell's contribution is no less in the forefront here. The song progressions are perfect as well. As far as demos go, you can't do any better, in my opinion.
And that was The Mass. The band would release a fourth and final demo in 1990 called The Fall of the Idol, which further opened up Master's Hammer's sound. In fact, polished versions of all but two of the tracks uh, on this would appear on what I will state here and now as the finest black metal album ever recorded, 1991's The Ritual. Saying art is subjective is going to happen a lot here, and it's probably already occurred several times during the course of this episode. So let that serve as an epilogue to that last sentiment. In my opinion, no other band has released as phenomenal, genre-defining, formidably unapproachable, densely composed, perfectly arranged, or crushingly esoteric and obscure an album as Masters Hammer did with The Ritual in 1991. Obviously, anyone familiar with the preceding demo would have an idea of what to expect, though there's a level of polish present here that was missing from that. It also seems to flow and progress more logically here, whether it's the nearly seven-minute opener, Pad Modley, ripping title track, the scathing coldness of Vechni Navret, or the huge and epic album closer, Utak. There are no missteps, and it's a perfect album, whether taken as a whole or individual tracks. The quote most often heard in relation to the ritual came from Fenris of Dark Throne, asserting that it was actually the first Norwegian black metal album, despite coming from the Czech Republic. And upon absorbing Master's Hammer's opus, it's clear to see how one would come to such a fucking opinion.
And that was the track, Utak, which uh, roughly, I say again, roughly translates to attack off of the ritual. The following year, uh, 1992, saw Master's Hammer release a follow-up that <laughs> somehow nearly matched their first effort in the Yelemniki Occultista. I don't know if that's right. That's how I've been saying it for years. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. There are technically three versions of this album if you include the demo that immediately preceded it uh, with the same title, as well as the Americanized title of the Flemnich Occultist, released by JL America Turbo in 1993. The album starts with an almost lilting overture composed of harps and timpani that segues into the raw occult atmosphere of Among the Hills a Winding Way, which revisits the cues of the intro throughout adding layers of keys on top of their primitive black metal. The album is almost too high concept, to be honest, and Silent Hell's timpani is always in the forefront, implying either doom or grandiosity, with soaring solos, chimes, and harps, and the storming rhythm of Monster's bass and Valenta's drums. That magnificent deer has vanished, has always been one of my favorite tracks on the record, as it rips and tears along with the established themes and off-the-wall sounds of the record but also harkens back to Master's Hammer's earlier work. And that's not to say that the other tracks fall short either, though as an album, it doesn't quite reach the heights of the ritual.
And that was the track, That Magnificent Deer Has Vanished, off of Master's Hammer's second album. 1995 saw just a sliver of Master's Hammer's core membership. Francis Storm and keyboardist Vlastimil Voril, specifically, record the often maligned and just as often misunderstood Slaggery. A complete departure from anything even remotely resembling black metal that the Czech legends were then known for. It more resembles the kookiness of German's Leibach in its intent and scope. Word is that this was their response to the burgeoning popularity and commercialization of black metal, in which case it's a genius middle finger in the face of the mid-90s scene. The material on Slaggery is just as unapproachable, really, as anything that they'd done beforehand, though rarely metal throughout its duration. Uh, but for listeners suffering for their fix of black metal art, final track, Lava Modernista, Modern Head, just one of the only two original compositions on the record, does revisit sounds and themes from the previous two Masters Hammer records, though with less fervor and more shit synthesized. More interesting are the bevy of cover tracks present, including Chuck Berry's rock and roll music, which is a nightmarish, chopped and screwed rendition of the original, with Barry's vocals pitch-shifted and slowed to the point of unintelligible, quaalude-driven blathering. Uh, nearly as interesting is the other original track, Indianska Paisen Haruzi, Indian Song of Horror, which marches martially with the chugging treble of Storm's guitar and layered classical arrangements, and a soothing choir of vocals repeating the same chorus ad nauseum. Sadly, the band split after Slaggery, but that's far from the end of their story.
I couldn't resist. That was Master's Hammer's rendition of rock and roll music, originally by Chuck Berry. And if you made it through that, kudos to you. Uh, personally, I like it. <laughs> not all the time, not even a lot of the time, but when I do hear it, I can't help but listen through the entire piece. Reformed in uh, 2009 for the release of the album Mantris, saw the full band back together to release an album just as dense, esoteric, raw, and ripping as the Yelemniki Occultista, and they have continued releasing solid albums since. 2012 saw the release of Vrashechi Conve Namisto. I, I don't know. <laughs> a thousand apologies, again. Which is a definite high point. Probably in my top three favorites of their records, to be honest. Even though I can't pronounce the title. It was revered enough to warrant being awarded an Andal Award, the equivalent of a Czech Grammy. More albums followed in 2014 and 2016, respectively, and they released Fascinator just last year, to little acknowledgement or immediate acclaim, despite how fucking good it is. In fact, it was my number one album for 2018. No bullshit when I say that I'd put it up there with their full-length debut. It's not only an audio masterpiece, but also a visual one, with some of Franta Storm's most stunning artwork adorning the album. Hell, even the record labels are works of art and tie in the themes of the record. As usual, it's all in check, so my comprehension of what the lyrics relate to is slim, though in keeping with everything that Master's Hammer has ever touched, it can be guaranteed that it's high on obscurity and mysticism. To be honest, I could have forgone speaking on anyone other than Master's Hammer this episode, but that early Czech scene was so rife with raw metal bands trying to make a mark that it would extend far into the future, though some with a permanency that proved as elusive as the communism that plagued the country leading into the 90s. While I touched on four inimitable projects, there are plenty more worth hearing. Tudor, Avenger, Amon, also known as Amon Goth, DAI, and more. Uh, while it can't be said that it all reaches the epic highs of what I've discussed here, it's all worth hearing regardless. I'd be hard-pressed to think of a scene that spawned so many noteworthy projects stemming from such a singularly rigid culture or government short of the Colombian scene in the 80s, and mark my words, we'll be talking about that one soon enough. 